Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Get That Bread, a podcast discussing value investing strategies. Welcome to episode one of our investing podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lee, and I think the purpose of this podcast is really tailored more towards those folks who never really went to business school, who never pursued a career that was even remotely related to the financial markets or finance overall, and yet we're still interested in formulating a long-term investment portfolio, and we're we're interested in dabbling in the stock market. And so, um, a little bit about myself, I started out my career in... Uh, this niche field called equity research. And for those of you who, again, never really was exposed to the financial markets or some of the nuances of the industry, uh, in a nutshell, I I was simply an analyst. I, I, you know, I did deep dives into the underlying operating and economic characteristics of publicly traded companies and helped um, my bosses essentially arrive or, or co-author reports to to assign investment ratings on some of these stocks, you know, are they a buy, hold, or sell? And that was kind of informative to the investment community as far as getting context on the industry that we covered, um, thinking about, you know, what is the investment outlook of some of these uh, securities? And and I also um, I also had experience looking at the so-called quote-unquote uh, special situations, namely spinoffs. And corporate spinoffs are really interesting because they open up very unique investment opportunities for investors. And I think this is a topic that we're certainly going to be talking about in later episodes, but uh, we're not going to be talking about it here today, but I think that's going to be for the future. So if if you do have some experience, uh, if you have under your belt, if you if you have been exposed to the financial markets either through academia or through your profession, and you just kind of want to get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, I think you may want to just go ahead and jump on ahead. Uh, these next few episodes are going to be kind of back to basics. Uh, they're going to be a little bit rudimentary, but I think foundational for for the new folks who who've never been exposed to these things in laying the groundwork for later episodes to to look at you know, the more the deeper analytics of some of these companies that we, we're, we're going to take a look at. Okay, so for those, for those guys who are new, um, there are a lot of different classifications that people may assign to the investing community, to, to investors, right? You, you know, are you an aggressive investor? Are you a conservative investor? Are you, are you a trader? Or are you a long-term oriented? But I think the most important question uh, the mo- one of the most important questions you want to ask yourself is, are you a passive investor or are you an active investor? So a passive investor is simply someone who, you know, for whatever reason, they don't have the resources and the time to be able to look under the hood of every single financial security that comes their way. And so they kind of outsource the investing activities to someone else, whether it's a, a financial advisor, if you're a high net worth investor to a hedge fund manager, or more popularly, um, to, to buy a so-called exchange traded fund or, or an ETF. So, and these ETFs, they'll mimic, the re, you know, a lot of them will mimic the returns of uh, a basket of stocks like the S&P 500. Now, on the flip side, there's active investing. So active investing is where you do cherry pick specific investment securities. And when I say securities, financial assets, 
they're synonymous with each other. And so here you have to, as an investor, make a series of incremental decisions, which you don't have to if you're a passive investor. So including, okay, what security do you want to buy? At what price do you want to buy? At what price do you want to sell? And when do you want to get out of this thing? So it's much more multifaceted. You do have to get your hands dirty into doing your homework, understanding exactly what you're getting yourself into. And so if you have some background knowledge over active investing, one may ask, okay, why do we, why, why do I get involved when the markets are so-called efficient? And market efficiency, if you haven't really come across that term, is simply the underlying premise that all available information, everything, is already baked into the price. So you're never going to find a mispricing. You're never going to find an undervalued opportunity. But I think there's enough evidence out there to suggest the contrary. Um, I think the, the biggest example of that is obviously the most the most famous investor, Warren Buffett. I mean, over his decades-long career, he's generated annualized compound returns of some something in the ballpark of twenty percent. That's crazy. Uh, also, you know, I can throw out I can throw out a lot of names who who have done such who have generated such exceptional returns. Joel Greenblatt, who when he was managing Gotham Capital um, and actually managing outside money under Gotham Capital. He used to return, I believe, anywhere between roughly around 50% returned annualized over his career during that time that he was managing outside money. That's unheard of. I mean, that's I mean, that's extraordinary. And so to be able to suggest that all information is baked into all the securities out there is I think it's perhaps too theoretical. Uh, certainly the markets are efficient, but not totally efficient and so okay so I think the next natural question is going to be okay fine what is value investing what is this all about and essentially it's simply looking for financial securities that are priced far below than what they're actually worth right so I'm buying a dollar for 50 cents I'm buying a dollar for even better 40 cents and another analogy that I like to use is like as if you're shopping for a home. Let's say on a street, every single home has the same exact configuration, the same number of bed, bedrooms, bathrooms, uh, square footage, yada, yada, yada. And one home on the block sold for $250,000 and yet this home right now is being offered to you for $100,000. Same configuration, nothing's wrong with the property insofar as you understand. And it's 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 the same house. And so you're buying something for far less than it's actually worth. Bargain opportunity. And so in my opinion, based on the evidence out there, you want to approach the investment markets in much of the same manner. And so and the reason is because value investing over time has generated, I think, outsized returns. So there's a lot of academic research out there that seems to suggest that as well. And so I want to reference just one academic finding, and that involves two academics, uh, Eugene Fama and Kenneth French. So back in 1992, they did this research um, between 1963 to 1990, where they were looking at companies that traded on uh, a low price to book multiple and compared the returns uh, of that grouping versus those companies that traded on a high price to book multiple. And they found that 
companies that traded on a low price to book uh, generated annualized returns of approximately 24%, whereas the higher value um, companies, right, the higher valuation companies generated annualized returns of 3%. So I think at least quantitatively, that kind of gives you a picture um, indicating that companies that are relatively cheaper from a valuation standpoint uh, tend to outperform those companies that have high valuations or a high price compared to their underlying asset values or underlying book values. Now, if you don't, if you're not familiar with what book value means or how to even interpret price to book, the price to book multiple, don't worry about it. Uh, I think right now all, all I want to introduce you to is um, book value. And I think the, the best way to interpret that metric is think about a mortgage, right? If you're considering buying a home uh, and that home is, let's just for hypothetical sake, worth about $100,000, you put down 20% equity. Well, the equity or the book value is 20%, $20,000 and the remaining balance is um, is your is your loan that you took out from the bank? Those are the liabilities. It's the same kind of uh, formula or way of looking at a company and a company's um, financing framework. The, the the whole mortgage value, so to speak, of the company. I do want to caveat that you know multiples alone aren't always going to be an indication of value. There can always be, there can be situations where catalysts are on the horizon, some kind of event that could unlock substantial amounts of value. So say for example, let's take Alphabet Inc. for example. Um, Alphabet Inc., it's primarily an advertising business, right? Google, it's their search platform. I think roughly about 86% of their revenues come from Google alone, but also embedded inside Alphabet Inc. are is a portfolio of other businesses, which they classify as quote-unquote other bets. And one of those businesses inside their other bets is Waymo, which is their autonomous car uh, driving technology business. Now, let's hypothetically assume that uh, in the future, in the not too distant future, Waymo is, their technology is explosive. They reach commercialization, they are disrupting the car industry uh, or disrupting Uber and Lyft, and their valuation is, let's say, worth a trillion dollars, just hypothetically speaking. Whereas I believe, as of today's recording, Alphabet's valuation is roughly 750 billion. So if Alphabet Inc. were to sell Waymo, all of a sudden they're realizing approximately a trillion dollars in the monetization or the sale of the Waymo assets. So what that does is Alphabet's valuation or market value should adjust or increase proportionately to the value of Waymo. You know, if markets don't anticipate that, and it's not being priced in properly, that could be a value opportunity, even though Alphabet Inc. today trades at roughly, I think, 25 times earnings. So low multiples alone aren't always going to be the only way of uncovering value opportunities. Anyways, I don't want to talk about all of the various ways that value can manifest itself in the marketplace. I just wanted to set you up with one possible example of how a value could arise. Um, and so I think in the future, we're definitely going to unpackage real world, real life examples and kind of walk you through our analytical process. And, and you yourself can judge as far as, you know, are we right? Are we wrong? We we definitely don't want you to feel like we're the 
only authoritative voice, but rather we definitely want to be a constructive voice in your own development of your investment philosophy and in in, in terms of, especially in terms of how to think about uh, stocks logically and valuations and whatnot. Before I end the show today, I definitely want to leave you off with three quotes that were so very transformative for me, at least psychologically and emotionally speaking when approaching investing, because it is, it is going to be a very emotional um, game, uh, really. I don't, I don't know how else to better, better say it, but I want to leave you with these three quotes, and they come from the greatest, Warren Buffett and his partner, Charlie Munger. And so the first one is from Warren Buffett, and he says this, to invest successfully over a lifetime does not require a stratospheric IQ, unusual business insights, or inside information. What's needed is a sound intellectual framework for making decisions and the ability to keep emotions from corroding that framework. You must apply the emotional discipline. So true, because there there are going to be times when the all the markets are going to be bleeding red, um, when the fear kind of sets in in the marketplace, correlations go to one, you see everything just red, everybody's selling, and you know there's going to be a an overwhelming sense and temptation to sell along with the markets because on paper you're seeing um, meaningful losses, but. It's in during those times where you have to have the psychological, emotional fortitude to stand apart from what the rest of the herd or what the rest of the market is doing, assuming that uh, your conclusions based on facts and evidence is in fact sound. The next quote comes from Warren Buffett again. He said, long ago, Ben Graham taught me that price is what you pay, value is what you get. Whether we're talking about stocks or socks, I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the name Ben Graham, Ben Graham actually used to be Warren Buffett's one-time boss and mentor, and he's pretty much widely known and recognized as the father of value investing. As a matter of fact, he published two very, very famous books that have widely affected and influenced the value community, and those included The Intelligent Investor and the more in-depth security analysis where Graham kind of lays out his whole investment philosophy for analyzing stocks, bonds, and various financial securities. Security analysis is really, really in depth. So is Intelligent Investor. It's I think Intelligent Investor is a is a better read. But anyways, I kind of want to segue to the last quote that has been, I think, the most formative for me, and that comes from Charlie Munger. And he says, "Someone will always be getting richer faster than you. This is not a tragedy." I think what he's kind of referring to here is greed, especially in the context of comparing yourself against your peers or colleagues or anyone else who's participating in, in financial activities or investing activities. And I think the moment you um, the moment you start seeing your peers kind of realizing outsized gains and these exceptional returns doing whatever financial wizardry that they're doing, uh, greed, can, greed can make you follow suit even when you don't fully understand what it is that you're investing your money into or what your peers were doing. And I think that's that's one of the key recipes for failure over the long run. Uh, and so I think part of that quote is, you know, stand apart from your peers. Don't pay attention to uh, what others may be doing and formulate your own independent thinking. I think that's going to be really, really key. So yeah, I want to leave you off with the, those three quotes because honestly, psychology and emotions are going to play such a key part in terms of your long-term success in investing and formulating a prudent portfolio. So just an inside scoop about as far as what the next few episodes are going to look like, I think incrementally, we're definitely going to get more and more in-depth 
If you're brand new to finance, we're going to get deeper into the waters and kind of discuss metrics at a deeper level. I think the best way to go forward is this. You can't use this podcast alone in terms of uh, building that framework. It's got to be complemented with other resources and there's tons of them out online. Just hoping that maybe this could be helpful for you when, I don't know, you're, you're out for a jog or riding in your car or something like that. But ultimately, the, the goal is, okay, the first few episodes get you up to speed, and then ultimately, we're going to go do some deep dives into specific securities and really unpack them and really walk through the whole analytical process without having to kind of define what this word means or what's the interpretation of that metric. And we really want you to get there um, so that, yeah, ultimately, so that you can make more and better informed decisions. And we're never going to tell you to buy something simply because we say you ought to. And I, I don't think you should follow any podcast or anyone on YouTube or anyone on television per se simply because they tell you. You got to do your own homework. I think if anything else, we hope that you get to that point where you can formulate your own independent opinion of the facts. We just want to give you the tools and skill sets to be able to make the interpretations. Finally, that's a wrap. I will catch you guys on the next episode. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. The opinions expressed in this podcast reflects the opinions of the presenter at the time they were made and are subject to change any time after the date of the podcast's production without notice. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. While the statements made in this podcast is based on publicly available information and is believed to be accurate as of the date given, no representation is made with regard to its accuracy or completeness. This podcast and the affiliated content are neither an offer nor a solicitation to buy or sell securities. The presenter and its affiliates may directly hold securities mentioned in this material.